0: Welcome to the Press Passes Podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen, and with us today we have Jay King from The Athletic. Jay, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, of course, of course. Now, as always, to start, uh, Jay, you're the beat writer for the Celtics at The Athletic, but you were not always the beat writer for the Celtics at The Athletic. So how about you just kind of walk us through your journey through sports media from when you first realized that this was something that you wanted to do to uh, where you ended up now?
1: So, when I was, I think, a senior in college, uh, I had played college basketball for three years through my junior year. Then I quit basketball. Uh, my senior year in college, I thought I was probably going to be an accountant. I went to school for business and management. And one of my classes, I don't even remember what class it was, to be honest. We had to start a blog. And I actually grew up in Western Massachusetts, so I grew up a big Celtics fan, and so I was a Senior in college, uh, basketball was my biggest love. And I thought, what the hell? This is a stupid class. This is going to be a stupid blog. I'll write it about the Celtics. And I think it was 2009. So it was a the year they had Stephon Marbury, and KG was hurt, and Glenn Davis was running into fans and stuff in the playoffs. And I just started blogging about the team and kind of fell in love with it. And so when the class ended um, – I started my own blog on my own time and kind of committed myself to it. And from there, I don't know how many like freelance jobs I took, um, but I tried to do anything I could Worked for, uh, reached out to a number of newspapers to write like high school football stories, high school, volleyball stories, high school, whatever stories, um, reached out to slam online so that eventually I got a, uh, press credential to cover Celtics games for Slam Online. and I wasn't even getting paid, but I was able to go to the games and I was able to write stories of them. And the more clips I got, kind of the more opportunities I got. And one thing led to another, and eventually uh, MassLive reached out to me. Um, I forget what year it was, maybe eight years ago, and asked if I wanted to run their high school sports coverage. And I didn't know it at the time, but they had plans to – open their professional sports coverage, and I was really, really lucky because I never would have gotten an opportunity to cover the Celtics for them full-time if they had opened it later after they were established. But because um, they weren't established and because they kind of saw what I'd been doing with my Celtics blog, they decided that um, when they opened the Celtics position, they would give it to me. And so I was just super, super fortunate to kind of be in the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, how did you end up from there to The Athletic?
1: Uh, so I worked there for like six years. And then when The Athletic opened the Boston branch, they reached out to me um, to see if I'd be interested in the self-exposition. So I said yes. And uh, I've been here for close to two years, I guess. Yeah, sounds
0: about right uh first and foremost a lot of the guys that i talked to similar position to you they start off covering high school that sort of thing and a lot of freelance stuff and they look back upon that time fondly to a certain extent do you feel like those early days of sort of grinding away around high school helped develop you into the writer you are today
1: it was tougher to cover a high school game honestly than it is to cover an nba game in some ways like you have to keep your own stats i can remember there was one game um my contact fell out. (laughs) I'm sitting in the press box. It's like negative five degrees out. And I'm squinting with one eye so that I can see the high school football runner, how many yards he got, what number he is. And it, but it it, really does prepare you. The deadlines were crazy. I can remember one time filing and I literally didn't have time to write a story. I had to call in like basically while the game was ending it wasn't even over yet i had to call in with my lead um i didn't have any wi-fi this was like before the days i think of hotspots, or at least i didn't have a hotspot. and so yeah those those times were great and what's, what's cool about it is everybody wants to talk to you like if you're writing a story about a high schooler they all want to talk and if you're writing a story like the family wants to talk friends want to talk everybody wants to talk it's not like the nba Where it's part of their job to talk to you, and sometimes they can resent that. I think. Uh, So yeah, I look back on those days super fondly. Like the the experience that I got covering high school sports, like the deadlines, the the like being out in elements, keeping track of everything all at once with stats and writing your story and everything else. um, That honestly, like it's harder in some ways than covering an NBA game. And so that, that experience, like it really, really shaped me, I think. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely look back on those times finally. And, and I mean, without doing that, without covering all the high school sports that I did, I never would have had enough skills to eventually get a, a full-time NBA job because like, I didn't, I didn't take a single journalism class. I was just kind of figuring it out how I went. And so it was, it was a lot of fun to, to do that and super beneficial.
0: Yeah, that's the interesting thing about your story is that you didn't, unlike a lot of the people, obviously, that are in this industry, this wasn't something that you had been planning to do since you were in middle school or whatever. But that doesn't mean so. I mean, I imagine. I I, was a
1: horrible writer. I was (laughs) horrible. Like, if you ask any of my teachers, they're probably like, that
0: idiot is a professional writer these days. (laughs) Like, there's no chance. (laughs) Nothing better than proving the haters wrong, right? Um, But what (laughs) were there any sort of, you know, takeaways from your business classes and from all the non-writing stuff that you did that you feel like applies to your job now?
1: Uh, Not really. So I was like the worst student ever. I basically picked the college because I wanted to play basketball there. Um, Hmm. I I would say among uh, college students, I was among the least interested. So no, probably not. There wasn't much, honestly, like I was never too interested in school. I was always a pretty good student. Um, But when I when I started blogging about the Celtics and writing about them, that was the first time I kind of fell in love with the process of, of putting together words. And at that point I think things shifted for me and, and uh, like when I was reading books even, like I'd be reading like why did they why did they order the story like this? Why did they why did this guy write this sentence the the way he did it? And so like it was like overnight I just kind of fell in love with the process of writing, I guess. And since then, like, it's been kind of something that, that like I read all the time. I read every sports writer out there, all the good ones. Um, I have an old Rick Riley book, uh, the greatest of Rick Riley back when he was so good, you know, in his early days at SI when he was just unbelievable. And I read that all the time, just for inspiration, kind of looking at how he, Framed his stories, how he ordered his stories, how he kind of went about what he did, and just kind of try to study everybody. So, yeah. no, I would say school, school didn't shape me much. It was every all the education after school and, and just kind of trying to ask questions of people and figure out why they did what they did kind of helped me out more than anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. There's no better way to hone your craft than looking at certainly guys like Rick Riley, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean he he was the best. That 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 the book of his the collection of his best writing from sports Australia, I think it's called like The Life of Riley is just really incredible. Some incredible stories. You'll cry like half the time and the <laughs> other half the time you'll be laughing, but <laughs> but it was it was great. And so I yeah, I studied all, all guys like that. There's I mean there's a long long list of writers I I study today to try to figure out what the hell I'm doing cuz I still realize every day
0: that in a lot of ways I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. Well, I'd say you're doing all right for yourself at this point. Um, <laughs> so when you transitioned from Mass Live to the athletic, that was two years ago, you said, right? Yes, yes. Two years ago. So, I mean, the athletic is, hasn't been around for that long. What about it appealed to you to make that jump, to make that transition?
1: Uh, so they'd already hired a lot of good writers by then. And it was, uh, you know, they had, they had already assembled the, the Bay Area team. And I think that group, like I, I knew about this site uh, in the early days when they had, I think, John Greenberg. And then I knew when they hired Jason Lloyd, like that was, a, that was a big deal hire. But I think what really caught my eye was when they put together like the all-star team in the Bay Area with Marcus Thompson, Tim Kawakami, Anthony Slater, uh, and later, obviously, Ethan Sherwood-Strauss. And when they put those guys together, I was like, whoa, this is pretty serious now. And so when they reached out, it was kind of like, uh, just the way they approached covering a team was really, really impressive to me and really appealing to me. Um, instead of having to write, you know, four or five stories a day, and have to write a story every time Danny Age did anything, anytime there was any trade rumor, you know, I can dig in now and, and write stories that I think hopefully have a little more detail and hopefully have a little more depth. Um, it was funny because the day the athletic reached out to me it was the day after it was like a double overtime Celtics wizards game, I think. And uh, it was just madness. And I had to file a story literally right at the buzzer. So it was like, a thousand words at the buzzer on a game that went back and forth and was just absolutely insane. And so I, I filed a story that was probably worthless, maybe the worst thing I, I've ever written. I, I don't know what, how many titles I had. There were no quotes in it, nothing. And, uh, the next day they were like, yeah, you won't have deadlines. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> That's pretty appealing. And, and nothing against Mass Live. Like I I love the guys at Mass Live. Um, I think the, the guys they have covering the Celtics right now are super talented and super hardworking. I think uh, Ed Kabashik, who's the editor in chief there, has put together an awesome, awesome staff. He's hired some amazing people, uh, including Jim Pignatello, the editor there. So it's nothing against Mass Live at all, but just the way the Athletic covered teams and wanted me to cover a team was, was pretty appealing
0: to me. Absolutely. And, the, what really one of the most interesting things about your story that you told me is that you were one of, if not the only writer that I've talked to that admitted that he was a fan of the team that he covers. So from that perspective, kind of, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of sports, a lot of aspiring sports journalists grow up wanting to cover that the team, wanting to cover the team they root for, the team they love. How do you put aside that fandom and just be a reporter?
1: So it's funny, at this stage, like, I don't have that fandom anymore. I kind of root for good basketball, entertaining basketball. Um, I honestly don't have any of that anymore, it, it's funny but the story I like to tell about it is so the first game I, I ever covered a Celtics game, I forget what I was freelancing for some newspaper and they gave me a credential to go cover the Celtics and I'm thinking I'm going to be starstruck, I'm going in to meet Kevin Garnett, I'm going in to talk to Paul Pierce, I'm going to talk to Ray Allen and for whatever reason I realized like it was a job and I wasn't starstruck at all until I get in the media room and I sit down and the Celtics media room at the time was, like, this super small room, uh, like, but everyone's just kind of packed in. And about five feet away from me is Bob Ryan. And no lie, like, my hands start sweating. I'm like, oh, my God, it's Bob Ryan. Uh, so, like, I, I get more geeked out about writers now. And the, the team, like, I don't know when exactly the fandom went away and I stopped pulling for the Celtics. But it's really hard when, when you're there every day to even continue that fandom, honestly. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I did grow up a Celtics fan. Like I loved the Celtics growing up. Some of my, my favorite memories are like watching Celtics games with my brothers, my my father, um, my friends. But now it's it really, I I don't have any of that anymore, which is kind of sad. <laughs> like it really is kind of sad that. That part of me, which was such a big part of, of me growing up, is just gone now. Um, but in its place is is a job that I really love. So I love that too.
0: Yeah, I would say that's uh, if there's going to be a trade off, that would that's the trade off to make, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have no complaints about my tough days. Are going to watch basketball games, so, so <laughs> you'll
0: never hear me complain about that. Of course not. Now we'll transition to the next part of the interview, where we're going to talk about some Celtics. Um, I. Full disclosure, I'm a Celtics fan, if you couldn't tell. So first, we'll start with this. Mark is smart. Everybody knows what he brings to the table when he's on the court, charges, defense, all that great stuff. But one of the things that you have access to that most of the fans don't is sort of that off-court stuff in the locker room, on the practice court. What does he bring to the table as a leader to this team?
1: Uh, I mean, he is always, always talking. Uh, he'll talk trash. He'll will communicate with his teammates defensively. He and he has Marcus more the the way I like to describe it. He, he has a rare ability to feel, and so he feels you know pain for other people. He feels pain for himself, and he's able to channel channel it all in mostly positive ways. Obviously, every once in a while he he, he snaps on the court and loses cool for a, a brief second, and maybe charges after J.R. Smith, but. Um, <laughs> he has like this unique ability to kind of connect with people, I think. And he's one of the guys that he's like the most vulnerable, not vulnerable, but he's the most open about sharing his vulnerabilities uh, mm-hmm. probably among the players I've coached. Like when his, his mother passed away, he would sit there and talk about it for as long as he wanted. And I think part of it was because he wanted to get his mother's story out there. But part of it is because, I think what makes Marcus smart special. And I think he recognizes this is that he does feel to such a great extent. And he, that's part of what makes him great as a basketball player is, you know, he's, he's always willing to go that, that extra step that, that nobody else is because it it means more to him. And I think in a lot of cases um, he does have like this emotional side that maybe you don't get to see a lot um, from NBA players, but he's, very open and and he lets people into that, which I think is pretty cool, and I think it helps him connect with teammates. And uh, Brad Stevens has always said, you know, he raises the energy in the room, and I think that's a that's a pretty good way to describe Marcus Smart. Like he's always always just energetic and kind of pushing guys to be better. I guess.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that lines up with everything what we've seen of him, and he's probably a pretty great guy to interview too, right?
1: Oh, he, he's great. Yeah, because he's open about things, um, and I, I thought it was—I really did think it was cool how how he handled um, how he was so open about what his mother meant to him, and and then he's been really open about just basically everything, and, and he, he he lets you see a different side of him that not every player does, and so I, I think it, it's really neat um, that he does that, and I think because of that. Um, people really connect with him, and obviously they connect with him because he's, you know, great player on the court. That hustles as much as anyone um, has really improved as a playmaker, as a shooter. But I think the other piece of that is that he does let you in to
0: his human side, and uh, and I think that's pretty cool of him. Mm-hmm. And then we're obviously all year. People are going to be talking about Kemba Walker versus Kyrie Irving. Now, specifically, yeah, how do you see, yeah, how do you see Kemba as a better on-court fit for these Celtics than Kyrie was?
1: Uh, on court, I honestly don't know if, if there's too big a difference. Like, um, I think the the one difference that that might be like Kyrie, as crazy, wasn't a shot maker. He wasn't as good at at Kemba at like just beating his man and breaking down a defense and creating like closeout situations for other guys. And like he was, he was great at a lot of things, but I think more so the difference is, is off the court and just the way that Kemba is like, he's a reliable, you can rely on him to be positive every day. And I think Kyrie went through, he had a tough time in Boston. Um, Mm -hmm. I think for whatever reason, whether it was the pressure of a team that was failing to live up to expectations, whether it was all the the rumors about his future that popped up, whether it was something else uh, in his personal life, I don't know. But there was a time when he was like, it was, uh, I don't think he connected with his teammates as, as well as um, maybe some other guys did. Uh, so I think, from from a standpoint of like knowing what you're going to get every day, Kemba is is different than Kyrie in that sense.
0: Oh, that's okay. That's really interesting. Uh, now for the next one, Jason Tatum has progressed a lot as a scorer, but that isn't a huge surprise I think personally the bigger surprise from the early parts of this year is that Jalen Brown has become a pretty consistent threat on that end of the floor on a night-to-night basis how has he improved his game to get to that point in comparison to last year where there were times where he'd struggle
1: yeah I I think he's still going through the struggles right um I I think yeah I I think you see him kind of evolving like last year the struggles were talking about are probably like the mid range shots that he took and missed. (laughs) Now the other he's doing he's doing better things, but sometimes not finishing. And I think you're kind of seeing the the growth process of kind of like he's playing downhill, getting to the rim more often than he used to, trying to become more of a finisher and contact drawer, like all the best scorers, the James Hardens, the whoever else. Um, and he hasn't quite gotten there yet, but he's he's working on it. I think he's so skilled and so physically gifted. Like he's just he's six eight. He's long. He can dribble. He can shoot. He can post up. I think it's only a matter of time before you know he takes that, that next step in his evolution. Um, and I
0: think he's close right now, but just kind of still trying to figure some things out. Definitely. Are you a fan of the uh, the flat top being gone? The flat top. You know
1: that's it was jarring I wasn't prepared for it I really wasn't I was not prepared for it um but yeah he uh I I missed the Isaiah Thomas Jalen Brown hair feud though I will say when those guys they used to always chirp each other on Instagram about their different haircuts, and I, I guess they still do but it was better when Jalen had the flat top and Isaiah would just eviscerate him for it
0: yeah those comments were always fun to see uh, one of the one of the bigger surprises of this early Celtics season as far as just big picture stuff goes is that so far they have one of the best defenses in the league by most statistical measures. Do you think they can sustain this pace or is their high energy play going to wear them down as the long season continues?
1: Uh, uh, that's a question. I don't think so. So Brad Stevens has always been pretty good about limiting the the minutes of his top guys. You mm-hmm. won't see those guys play more than 33 or 34 minutes very regularly. I do think like those they're relying so much on their top five guys, Kemba Walker, Marcus smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward. Like those guys need to score all the points. They need to make all the assists. They need to hit all the threes. They need to guard all the best players and they need to rebound because they don't have much size. So It's like, there is really a lot on their plate. Um, but I think I think that's kind of good for them after last year. Like last year, they probably had too many guys who wanted minutes, wanted touches, wanted uh, opportunities. And this year, it's very different. The hierarchy is very clear. It's Gemba and four other guys, and then everybody else. Yeah. And um, I think I think you see that Tatum is playing with more freedom. Jalen Brown is playing with more freedom. Um, Marcus Smart, same thing. Gordon Hayward, obviously, he's much healthier now. Um, but the, the downside of that is, like, those guys need to do everything. And defensively, especially, like, there's a lot of pressure on those guys to be great because the Celtics don't have much size. Like, Daniel Tice is six eight and kind of skinny for a center. Robert Williams, 6'8", kind of skinny for a center. Doesn't always know what he's doing, but he's fantastic at jumping and running to the rim and blocking shots. So... Their defense is different. I think than most they've had in the past. They probably double team more often than they have, and they fly around, and they have to cover for each other. And it's a fun, fun style to watch. But I, I do think there's probably something to what you said. Like maybe that is a taxing style, and, and maybe, maybe over the course of a long season, that does wear them down a little bit. We'll see if that happens. Um, but obviously, those guys, they're all in great shape to be able to play it the way they have so far. Absolutely.
0: And then you just mentioned how top-heavy this team is. They're getting really almost nothing from their bench at all, but it seems like they have some talent there. If there's going to be any one guy who emerges as a consistent contributor by the end of the season as far as from the rookies or the second-year guys, who do you think that'll be?
1: Uh, I think Grant Williams is the one most likely to contribute a lot just because he's already had a few games where his defense has just been like eye-opening. Um I think as the season progresses, uh, Carson Edwards' performance will be important because like I said, like the Celtics, they've hardly had any three point shooting outside their main five guys. Like mm-hmm. Brad Wanamaker's hit a couple recently. He's not a volume shooter at all. None of the big guys really shoot threes. The bench, Grant Williams, he's over twenty in his career so far. Oh. Shemmy Ogillade, not a three-point shooter at all. Carson Edwards is the one guy you look at and say, okay, he has a chance to develop into a three-point shooting threat off the bench. And if he does, that'll be important to give the other guys space and let them operate. So I think Carson Edwards, like he hasn't gotten comfortable yet. He hasn't hit a rhythm. He obviously has that scoring potential out of Purdue. So I I think his progress is important and kind of getting him comfortable and and getting him confident and getting him to knock down shots because – This Celtics team, like, they're going to need some of their role players to knock down shots when it matters most once the playoffs hit.
0: Absolutely. All right, now we switch to the last part of the interview, which are five little quick hitter, more fun questions. How does that sound to you? That sounds beautiful. All right. What is your favorite NBA arena? Ooh. uh, Banker's Life
1: bankers okay. life in and the, the, the Pacers arena. I just, I don't know. There's just a feeling there. Like, like everyone knows basketball and everyone appreciates basketball. And I, I love the arenas where like the fans kind of know what's going on and cheer for like, like gritty plays or smart plays. Um, I think you feel that in Madison square garden, you feel it in Boston you feel it in Indiana for sure. So I would say of the road arenas, Bankers Life is is probably my favorite. I, I very much enjoyed being able to go there for a playoff series last year, even though it was
0: kind of a lopsided playoff
1: series. Hmm.
0: I imagine Brad agrees with you too, as an Indiana boy through and through. Oh yeah, Gordon Hayward too. Probably probably same thing. Yeah. What's your uh, go to spot to eat in Boston? Ooh. Uh... That's a good question. I, so I
1: live in Somerville. I go to the smoke shop a lot. So okay. the smoke shop would probably be, be my answer. It's not the best. The, the best one is probably Toro. Toro in the south end of Boston. Love Toro. Um, but I go to the, the smoke shop more often than anything because it's like a couple blocks away from where I live.
0: Yeah, nothing like the convenience factor, right? Yep. Yep. Um, who, so this could be from any point, obviously, likelihood is that it ends up being a Celtic, but if somebody else stood out from back when you were freelancing, who's the favorite person, player, coach, whatever, that you've been able to interview so far in your career? Um, who would that be? Uh,
1: I'm trying to think. There's There's got to be someone that that is that was rare. Um, I tried to interview Meek Mill once. This is a good story. Uh, so this is after, I think, the Celtics beat uh, the 76ers in game three of the playoff series a couple seasons ago. And so it was a game that made it 3 0. And Meek Mill obviously is a huge 76ers fan. And I was working on a Marcus Morris story about kind of his bond with the city of Philadelphia and how Philadelphia ra- helped raise him into who he is. And I knew that he was friendly uh, with Meek Mill. And so when I saw Meek Mill in the hallway, I was like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity. I'm going to go ask Meek Mill if he wants to talk about Marcus Morris. So I walk up to Meek Mill, um, and I, I asked him if, if he has time for a brief interview. He looked at me like I'm nuts. I'm like, I just want to talk about Marcus Morris. I, I know you know him pretty well. You guys are both from Philly, and he's like, "Man, this is such a bad time." <laughs> like he took that he took that loss like he was on the team, man. Like, he really did take that loss like he was on a team. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I get it. I understand. And I just kind of walked away and, and never never had me deal in my story. But that was a good one. Um, I interviewed Floyd Mayweather once, like. Outside of an elevator, when he had like 12 bodyguards around him, which was very interesting. But yeah, I think it's the ones outside of basketball that are kind of the most interesting because those are guys like you just see and you think to yourself, like, should I go talk to this guy? Maybe I should go talk to this guy. And then you go, and sometimes it works out. And sometimes Meek Mill is just devastated that the Sixers
0: lost and does not want to give an interview. And that's the that's the way it goes. And then twelve bodyguards also seems on the low side Floyd. So I'd say you got lucky.
1: Those affairs. guys are just enormous too. Floyd Mayweather has the biggest bodyguards I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, that seems on brand. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> what's one thing about this job that you feel like other people don't know or don't really understand?
1: Um, probably how much travel there is. Honestly, um and how, how taxing the travel can be. Like, I am amazed that the players can perform at the level that they do for 82 games with the amount of, of flying they do and the little sleep that they sometimes get. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel wiped out when I get to the arena sometimes because it's a back-to-back or you just flew however many hours, and it's like, how the hell do the players go out there and score twenty five or thirty points every night when they're doing this this stuff too, and I'm sitting here like I can't even put words together. I I can barely sit here and watch a basketball game, and these guys are playing in it. So I, I think that's one thing that that people probably don't understand about about my job, and more importantly about the players, like just how taxing that travel schedule can be, and just how little sleep people can get.
0: It really is amazing to me how well the players formed, given that. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, you're a veteran of the industry now. You've been working in it for quite some time, almost a whole decade. Um, What's one thing that you know now that you wish you knew back when you were starting your blog? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, everything when I first started (laughs) my blog, I
1: had no clue how to do anything. I can remember I sent out emails to literally every single writer that I could find a contact information for, like every, every NBA writer. And I just asked for advice. And I remember Chris Forsberg, who's a Celtics writer now. He was one of the guys I reached out to for advice. And he actually, he contacted me back. I think he gave me a call and I've always appreciated that about him. Like he was willing to, to give advice to a young, dumb kid who has no freaking clue what he was doing and take time out of his day. So, yeah, shout out to Chris Forsberg, <laughs> but yeah, honestly, everything. Like I knew nothing when I started. I, I still know hardly anything about journalism. I just try to kind of figure it out by the day and learn from other people and ask as many questions as possible about it and try to learn from from reading other people. But yeah, I mean,
0: I, I wish, I wish I knew what I was doing, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all do, but uh, yeah, that's a good answer. And then I know that was five questions, and now I'm going to add on a sixth one because I can. Oh, you um, like Marcus Smart, stretch six. <laughs> exactly. Is the kid a self-proclaimed nickname? <laughs> <laughs> so, so
1: this is what happened. Um, <laughs> so I, I call everything. I call everybody the kid. So okay. it would be like if, if uh, someone had tough luck. I'd be like, oh, that's a tough hit for the kid. Um if if someone asked a good question, what a question by the kid. And so I think I referred to people, including myself as the kid enough that I then eventually became the kid and now I just being an idiot, I refer to myself as the kid on Twitter. And I don't know I don't know when it became a thing on Twitter. Um but yeah. I, I guess I leaned into it and it's so annoying and I hate myself for it but I do call myself the kid
0: <laughs> I mean you might as well lean into it after a certain point so you know and now you know now you're getting asked about it on a podcast it all kind of comes together for you I don't know
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I'm a little embarrassed right now that that the kid has gotten to podcast form but here we are <laughs>
0: <laughs> well it's a good one for the kid I'd say. <laughs> All right, Jay. Tough, hit, tough hit for the kid. Yeah, tough hit for the kid. All right, Jay, that'll be it. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast and talk and give some candid answers about how you got to where you are. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, too.
0: Of course. And thank you, listener, as always, for tuning into the Press Pass podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen, signing off.